You're listening to the weekly sermon from Antioch East Baptist Church, located in Magnolia, Arkansas. For more information about our faith and local congregation, visit AntiochEast.com. want you to turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 3. Look at verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin." Now, let me give you a little introduction. These verses are a mini section of the book of Romans. It could be an outline of the book of Romans, really. It is a transition from the subject of total depravity, which is what we've been talking about in chapters 1, 2, and 3 up until now, to salvation by grace through faith alone. Now, I have to be honest with you. All the, pre- all the sermons I have preached thus far in the book of Romans have been pretty negative. Because it's all about how you're guilty, how I am guilty, how everybody's guilty. And we're not quite finished, but after today, we're going to get into the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see how God rescued us, and if he had not, we would be without hope. But these verses start transitioning. If you're lost here today, I hope that this brings you to a very dark place. You say, how awful. No, because until you get to this place in chapter 19 and 20, you can't get to 21, 22, 23, 24, and 25. Until you realize you're lost, you can't be found. Until you realize you're without hope, you cannot be saved. This is a final breathtaking truth and cliffhanger where the situation seems hopeless and all is lost. The darkest moment, the reign of death seems sovereign and hell seems to be our inevitable destination. That's what these verses do. Let me read them again just so you might have missed that. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world, let's just put it here, you become guilty before God. I become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, by living good, by being right, by having merit, no flesh will be justified in the sight of God for by the law is just the knowledge of sin. There is not much hope in those verses. There's a little, and I'll show you in a minute, but first of all, let's talk about the law just a tad. The standard of right and wrong, the law is. It has always been the standard, and that's all I'm going to say about it right now, but we're going to talk a lot about the law of God. But I want to talk to you about conscience for just a minute and, and while we think about these things. We can have a clear conscience or we can have a guilty conscience. But conscience is amoral. Do you all know what I mean by that? Atheist, atheist means no God. Amoral means no morality. Your conscience really doesn't have a morality. It has to be built. Some of us had good mamas and daddies that built a good conscience in us. That's why some of you don't smoke or chew or kiss the girls that do. Mama told you not to. Hey, that rhymed, that little part. Anyway, but some of us, 
Maybe we didn't grow up in a Christian home or a home where morality was taught and our conscience is not built as it should be and we don't have a very good conscience. But underneath that good or bad conscience is the God-given knowledge of right and wrong. God gives it us, gives it to us. He has put in our hearts, Romans 1.19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it to them. You can go anywhere in the world, look up any tribe in the, in the deep woods or on the plains of Africa or wherever you go, you can find people that seem to have been separated from society for years and years, and they they all have a code of ethics. Why? Because God has showed it to them. This knowledge is a gift, a help, a guide, not to show you how to live right, but how you need the cross. Let me talk about guilt for just a minute because it talks about guilt. The Bible says here in our verses, our text, that all the world may become guilty before God. The world suppresses guilt. They attempt to ignore it. They rationalize the guilt that they have. Anne Landers said in, in, a, in, a, in one of her writings years ago, said one of the most painful, self-mutilating, time-consuming exercise in the human experience is guilt. It can ruin your day or your week or even your life if you let it. It turns up like a bad penny when you do something dishonest, hurtful, tacky, selfish, or rotten. She leaves off sinful, but anyway, never mind, she says and excuses that it was a result of ignorance, stupidity, laziness, thoughtlessness, weak flesh, or clay feet. Again, she leaves off a sin nature. You did wrong, she says. The guilt is killing you. Too bad. But be assured, she concluded, the agony you feel is normal. Remember, guilt is a pollutant, she says, and we don't need any more of it in the world. That philosophy will send you to hell. Guilt is to the soul what pain is to the burning hand on the stove. Guilt tells us something's wrong. I'm not doing right. And guilt isn't running your life unrepentant sin is running our lives the natural question after chapters 1 through 3 which we've preached and you have to go get on the uh, podcast or you can get the CDs uh, is what the law what in the world is the law good for if we are unable to keep it if we're unable to live by this standard that God has set then why what's it good for well, here in our text, we have five distinctions of the law that reveal its glorious purpose. That's all introduction. I'll try to go faster in the main body of my sermon. Here we go. Number one, y'all ready? It'll be up on the board. You have your slips. You can fill them out. The universal jurisdiction of the law. The universal jurisdiction of the law. Whatever the law, it says to those who are under the law. Well, number one, we got to ask, well, who's under the law? Who's he talking about? And I read a bunch of commentaries this uh, week that talked and fussed about, is he talking mainly to the Jews? Or is he talking just to the Jews? Or who's he talking to? Well, it doesn't matter because he explains it in the next verse. That every mouth, that every mouth may be stopped. And listen, that the whole world become guilty before God. We misunderstand the law. 
We think the Ten Commandments, some people say the Ten Commandments are just totally for the Jews. That's just not true, but I'm not going to fuss with that. and I'll explain what I mean here in a minute. But who is under the law? Let's just get simplified. You are responsible to keep the law of God if you wish to go to heaven. Did you hear me? A Baptist preacher just told you you have to keep the law perfectly if you want to go to heaven. What is the law? What is it? Well, we, we, we think we know what it is and probably do a little bit, but first of all, I want you to know that the law is God's character written down. I've told you all this before. God said, well, I've created these people. Now I've got, to find, I've got to make some rules for them. That's not how the law came about. The laws of God did not go into effect when he wrote them in stone. Righteousness is determined by what God is, not on something he has said or written. Righteousness is determined by who God is. Men were held accountable for their actions long before God wrote the law in stone with his finger. We know that in the first few chapters of Genesis, at the very beginning of humankind, that Cain slew his brother and God cursed him for it. Why? Because he was accountable for S-I-N. You say, well, what law was he living by? Just the natural law that always was and always will be and always has been. Thou shalt not murder was a law long before Moses gave it to the children of Israel. The law is not some written code decided by a bunch of senators and, 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 and representatives. The law is God's character. A law is the description of the holiness of God. And you can go to heaven by living by the law, but you've got to keep it all perfectly. You've got to be as holy as God to be saved. Does that scare you? It ought to. The laws of God did not go into effect when he wrote it. They've always been in effect as long as he has been. And the Bible says he is um, uh, uh, omnipresent and he has always been. Omniscient, omnipotent, he has always been. He is eternal, forever eternal. The law is not limited to the Pentateuch. And we've really said this already, but I put it here. And there it is. And I wanted to use that big word, Pentateuch. What in the world is that? That's just the books of Genesis through Deuteronomy. But that's not all the law of God. You realize that? Jesus considered the whole scripture to be the law of God. Look at John 10, 34. Jesus answered them, Is, not, is it not written in your law? I said, you are God's. Now, you have to know, I'm not preaching this verse, but in context, he was messing with the Pharisees, talking to them. But he says it's written in the law. Where is that verse from? It is a quotation from the book of Psalms. So Jesus considered the book of Psalms part of the law. Look at John 15, 25. John 15, 25. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which was written in their law. They hated me without a cause. This is a quotation from many verses, but mainly in the book, again, of Psalms. The law consists of all the commands of all the Bible, all of the mysterious and ritualistic orders. It is impossible to keep a law like that. 
Are you sitting here today telling me, if I were to say, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? You'd say, well, I think so, or I, maybe so, or maybe you'd say, I know so. And I'd ask you, well, why in the world do you think you're going to heaven? And some of you would tell me, well, I'm a pretty good person. Well, I've got news. You're not that good. Matter of fact, you're a lot worse than you're trying to admit that or try to say that you are, and you know it. I tell you what, let us open your heart and see all of your dirty deeds, thoughts, and actions, and then we'll determine, let us determine whether you're good or not. Oh, we want to act and we want to say, the Bible says in Proverbs, every man is good in his own eyes, but God says, all have sinned. And are guilty. The law consists of all the commandments of all the Bible, but for all intents and purposes, okay, let's simplify it now, but for all intents and purposes, let's say we are only obligated to keep the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. That's all you had to keep, the Ten Commandments. Are you in any better shape? You really think you're in any better shape? I'm fixing to go through this in a minute. We'll see, but I'm going to go on. James 2.10 says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all of it. Now, for instance, when you go to court, what does it say? What does the, the, the law books against you say? It's you versus the state of Arkansas or the United States of America if it's federal. Well, I didn't, I didn't offend all of America or all the state. I just stole money from, you know, uh, the store or whatever. No, my friend, you have broken the laws of our land. Therefore, you're, gu- you're, you're guilty to me. You're guilty to Will. You're guilty to uh, Miss Penny. You're guilty to all of us because we pay taxes and we are the ones responsible for this place. You have sinned against everybody in this place. And my friend, when you sin against God... You've sinned against all of his holiness. As we have seen, the heathen, the hypocrite, the Hebrew, and the whole human race are sinners, transgressors of the law. Therefore, you are guilty before God, hopeless for salvation in the law. If you're looking for good works to get you to heaven, please hear me. I don't know how in the world. I've preached and preached and preached for years. I've had some people listen to me over and over again, and still some of them are depending on their good works and their morality to get them to heaven. You're never going to be saved by anything you have done or will do. Merit-wise, deeds. Number two. Number two, the intelligent reaction to the law. (laughs) I like this point. What would be the intelligent reaction to the law? Here it is, that every mouth may be stopped. Stop making excuses. Stop making rationalizations. The NASB, the New American Standard Bible, interprets it like, translates it like this. Every mouth may be closed. The HCSB, the, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, I like it. It says, every mouth may be shut. And the NIV uh, has a great, uh, puts it great. It says every, that every mouth may be silenced. 
In other words, what it is is finally you quit making excuses and there's nowhere to go. You can't go right. You can't go left. You can't back up. Everywhere you turn, all it does is prove that you cannot save yourself. You're guilty, guilty, guilty. And finally, you just... Or maybe you look at the awesome holy law of God and you get and you shut up like this. You cover your mouth in shame. As I think it was Job did. Maybe I could be wrong about that. It means you have no argument and no defense. When you're standing before God and he not only reviews the deeds of your life, but he opens up your sinful heart and shows you what you really are, you will have no defense. There's no no defense for you. Psalm 1.5 says, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Now here we get to the technical meaning of what he's saying there, mouth may be stopped. What does that mean? That uh, Listen again. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. What does that mean? That they, their knees will shake and they'll fall down or that they'll lose the ability to walk? No, it means they have no standing. They have no defense. They cannot stand in the judgment. They're going to be found guilty, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. In other words... If you are a sinner, if you have told one little white lie, that's enough to get you there. You cannot stand in the congregation of the righteous. You cannot stand with them. You're not on their side. You're not one of them. You're not a part of them. Galatians 3.22 says, But the scripture has confined all under sin. Has confined. Now listen to this confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now listen, verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. Now listen, the scriptures has confirmed all under sin. And number two in verse 23, we were kept. The original language here does not mean to be kept safe because I've heard people say that we were kept safe. You weren't kept safe. You were kept lost. If you would have continued and stayed in the law, you'd die with sin and you would have paid for all your sin. So that's not what it means. It means the law confined us. It would not let us go. There was no possibility of getting out of the box we were in of the law. It literally means to be shut up on every side. Therefore, it means to keep suppressed. Now, it had a purpose, and we'll get to that. No more appeals, no more rationalizations, no more excuses, no more twisting of the scriptures. Give up, realize, and resign to the fact that you have no defense and throw yourself upon the mercy of the court of God. And the Bible says perhaps he will give you repentance. Number three, the inevitable obligation to the lawmaker. Oh my, if you thought there was, it wouldn't get any worse, it gets much worse. The phrase says, become guilty before God. Look at the word guilt. The word guilt is hupodikos. It means to be brought to trial, but more importantly, it means to be answerable to. 
to answer to be answerable to. That goes in your little blank if you have the if you're filling it out. This is the only time in the New Testament this Greek word is used. It does not merely mean you did it, but that you are responsible for it. You are answerable for it. You are accountable for it. You remember when you're a kid? You threw a baseball or threw a rock or hit a ball. Might have been accidental, might have been on purpose, but you you broke the neighbor's window. How many of y'all remember? If you had good parents, you'll know what I'm talking about. It could have been a different scenario, but you did something, you broke something, you you and 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 you thought, oh, if I run and hide, but you turn around and mama's sitting there and she saw you do it. Oh my. Now, if I'd have done it on purpose, first of all, my mother would grab me by the left hand, and with her right hand, she would begin to wail upon my backside with a switch. Amen. We need more of that today. And she would spank the fire out of me. And she'd say, this hurts me. This hurts you more than no, no. She was, anyway, and she would whip me. And then she would grab me by the hand again and march me to the neighbor's house. And they would come to the door and she'd make me apologize. And she'd say, Ron, it's not when he comes home from school, he'll be sweeping the floor, he'll be raking the leaves. If there's no leaves on the lawn, he'll be raking anyway. He'll be cleaning his room, even if it's spotless, he's cleaning the room, and he's going to work until he pays you back for that window. She says, you're accountable, son. You must pay for this. You're going to have to go mow some lawns or whatever. And possibly I could have raised the money. But my friend, you have broken the law of God and there is no way in the world you could ever be accountable for it. You are accountable, but there's no way to pay it back. W.C. Fields on his deathbed. Now, I realize most of our younger generation do not know who W.C. Fields was. Maybe some of our old ones don't, but he was an old-time movie guy. He was on the movies way back there in the 30s, right at the point. He even was in some silent movies, I believe, but way back there. And he was famous for his voice and his look. He was kind of a chubby guy. He wore a top hat, and he had a cigar. And he, oh, oh, he kind of did that. Yowza, yowza. He had a funny way of talking. And W.C. Fields was dying. He was on his deathbed and he was reading a Bible and a friend caught him reading his Bible on the deathbed. And he said to him, W.C., you never were religious. What are you doing? And Mr. Fields replied, looking for loopholes, looking for loopholes. He never found them, I'll guarantee you that, unless he found Jesus. More importantly, though, that's the word guilt. We're guilty before God. We're accountable. But listen, the second part of that verse ought to scare you to death. To God. You're not accountable to the preacher. You're not accountable to the church. You're not accountable to the city or the state or the country or the world. My friend, the accountability that you have is to the sovereign God of heaven. There's no lawyer that can get you out of this one. If your law does not have the power behind to bring you to account for your crimes, what does it matter? We're living in a more and more feckless country. 
You can get away with nearly murder in our country and not have to pay for it. Often with the laws of men, there is no justice because of the ineffectiveness of government, law enforcement, and the courts. But my friend, hear me today. Kids, listen to me today. Do not make the eternal damning mistake of thinking that God is like the rulers of men. Don't think God is like your parents who let you get away with murder. I hear it all the time. Someone has a kid and they're acting like a little, well, uh, a sinner like they are. And they keep warning them and warning them and warning them. They say, I just don't want to do with them. What's wrong? And I tell them, he doesn't believe you. You've lied to him 15 times. Tell him you're going to whip him and you hadn't done it yet. He doesn't believe you. Therefore, they are raised up and they think that God is like mom and daddy. That he's just going to say that, say that, say that. And finally, he's going to give them something to pacify them. My friend, God only says it once and you will pay for your sin. You will pay for your sin. But let me show you why this sermon will fall mainly on deaf ears. Look at verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes really you're sitting here looking at your watch I've heard brother Ron rant and rave before I hope he doesn't run us past 12 so I can beat the Methodist to the restaurant there is no fear of God before your eyes no fear of God that's why it's not scaring you That's why it's just a thing to you. You're not scared of God. You don't think God is going to do what he said. That's what fear is. It's belief. The Old Testament word fear was everywhere. In the New Testament, not so much. But it is everywhere in the New Testament, except it uses the word believe. Believe God. And some of you just don't believe God. When he says there's a payday someday. You may not fear your guilt, but fear the one you are guilty of offending and the one to whom you will answer. Listen to this. Listen. This is God speaking. All right, Brother Ron's been bloviating and hollering, but listen. Okay, I've been reading the Word of God to you too, but listen finally. Oh, how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy of those who have trampled the Son of God? underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace for we know him who said vengeance is mine I will repay says the Lord and again the Lord will judge his people it is a fearful thing for sinners to fall into the hands of a living God Oh, that's cute. That's good. I remember something in high school reading that sermon or something about that verse. You better believe that verse. Fourthly, the impossibility of justification by the law. I'm going quickly now. The impossibility of the just of being justified, being saved, being born again, being found not guilty by the law. Because it says here, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. No one in this room is ever going to be found not guilty because you are guilty. You are a sinner. His requirements are not secret. They're all over splashed. They're all up back there. Look there, back there in the back on that wall. Ten of them back there on that wall. You see them all the time. 
They don't have to be on the courthouse square for you to know God's commands. Have you lied? Then how can you be declared not guilty? Have you committed idolatry? Well, you're here today, but a lot of times you miss church just to watch a ball game or this or that. You put so many times the things before God that's called idolatry, then how can you be declared not guilty? Have you committed adultery? in your body or even in your mind, then how can you be declared not guilty? Have you, have you dishonored your parents? And we always think about the kids up here. My friend, everybody in this room had parents. And if you've ever been disrespectful to your parents, then you will not be declared not guilty. Have you blasphemed the name of the Lord by saying, oh my God, or, or dear Lord, or whatever, not praying, preaching, or praising, or you get on Facebook, OMG, OMG. Every time you do that, you blaspheme the name of God. I don't care if it is, just the initials. How are you going to be found not guilty when you blaspheme God's name all the time? Hey, look back there. It's one of the big ten. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And then he adds this, I will not hold him guiltless who takes my name in vain. Have you blasphemed the name of God? Then how in the world are you going to be declared, be declared not guilty? Oh, listen to the Bible. Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Galatians 2, 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Listen. For the, by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Ephesians 2 8 by grace you say by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself it's a gift to God listen to verse 9 not of works lest any man should boast and again 2 Timothy 1 9 one of the greatest verses still in the Bible who has saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works but according to him his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began hey are you scared yet Lastly, the intended revelation of the law. By the law is, and you can put in here, just the knowledge of sin. By the law is the knowledge of the sin. This is the Expositor's Bible. Let me quote from what is called the Expositor's Bible. It's actually a commentary, a large commentary. He says here, the man who writes says, the law, that is to say, the Old Testament revelation, this not only contains the mosaic and prophetic moral code, but has it for one grand prevailing object. It is all for one grand prevailing object in all its parts to prepare man for Christ by exposing him to himself in his shame and need. All the law does is show you, you cannot be saved by me, the law says. Romans 7, 7, Paul said, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Is the law bad? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. He said, no, the law is not bad. 
Yes, you ought to be scared, but then when you realize what it is, it ought to be glory to you because you wouldn't have known about sin. You wouldn't have known that you were guilty had you not read these things. For I would not have known covetous unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Galatians 3, 24, the greatest verse on this subject. Therefore, the law was our tutor, our schoolmaster, our governor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So now we see the law is not as bad as we think it is. You got to get to that point and thinking, man, what am I going to do? I'm boxed in on every side. There is no hope. But that same law tells you, you can't be saved by me. So what's the question that you ask? The law is impassable. It's an impassable wall between us and salvation. What do you do when you come to an impassable wall? Well, you turn around and try to find another way. That is what the law does. It turns us around and points us to Calvary. There it is, folks. If you're losing hope in this service, here's your hope. Jesus has come and busted through the law. He became sin. He became your sin that you might become his righteousness. No one here is going to heaven on their own merits. All of us that are saved are going to heaven on his merits. And in spite of what we've done, we'll go to heaven because he had mercy and grace upon us. Psalm 19, 7, the law of the Lord is perfect and it is converting the soul. That word convert, uh, the, most English translations have it wrong. That says reform or whatever. No, it means to turn, to turn you. It turns you. Converting the soul, the Hebrew word converting means to turn. These verses, 19 and 20, were probably what, well, let me, before I get to that, let me say a few words more. That's my very ending. Let me say a few words more. Do you understand now, he doesn't really give much hope except he says the law is just to show us we're never going to be saved by the law. If today I ask you the question again, please listen to me. If you were to die today and God were to ask you, why in the world do you think I ought to let you into heaven? Do you think you're going to heaven? If I asked you, or you think you're going to heaven, you say, well, I hope so. You better not leave here until you know so. Well, I think so. And I were probably to ask you again, why do you think so? Well, I, you know, I, 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 I've helped my neighbors carry their groceries in. I've mowed the lawn of somebody. I've done so. I've been baptized. I'm a Baptist. I'm an American. <laughs> so what? So what? Very few bad people are going to be in hell. It's going to be a lot of moral people that think they were going to get to heaven by their morality. Bad people, good people go to hell, bad people go to heaven. Because to go to heaven, you got to get to the point of saying, I'm the worst among them. I am a sinner. I am unholy and unrighteous. And I will never be able to save myself. Oh, God, if you will not save me, I cannot enter in. And God will say, that's exactly right. I've provided a way for you, though. It's the blood of my son. And if you trust in the blood of my son, you may enter in. That's faith. Faith in Christ. Not one bit of faith in your works or goodness or your good looks or your good deeds, whatever. 
totally in Christ. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I claim. These verses, verse 19 and 20, were probably what William Newell had in mind when he wrote these words to my favorite hymn. Listen, I know I use them all the time. I just can't get over it. Years I spent in vanity and pride. I did not care my Lord was crucified. I had no fear of God. Knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. Now listen. By God's word at last my sin I learned. My sin I learned. Now listen. Then I trembled at the law I had spurned until my guilty soul imploring turned, turned to Calvary. Have you turned to Calvary?